0: Uh, welcome back everyone to another episode of comeback stories got my man donnie with me here as usual um really excited about the guests we have on the show today uh i'm somebody that grew up in metro atlanta georgia as a kid watching this man uh terrorize the nfl Um, the most electric player I've ever seen. I was a quarterback growing up. Watching him really inspired me. Um, Remember he had his own shoe. Everybody had the shoes in youth football. Um, This man's a comeback player of the year, four-time Pro Bowler, just transformed the quarterback position, the game of football. We've got Michael Vick in the building. Thank you, Michael, for joining us today.
1: No doubt. Thanks for having me, fellas. Yes, sir. it's, uh, It's a pleasure to be on the show. We, we're long overdue, man. We've been trying to make this happen since like April or something.
0: <laughs> no doubt, man. Uh, appreciate you making the time as always. Uh, we like to start yeah. um, from the jump. Like what was life like growing up for you? Uh, the environment that you grew up in, uh, family life. Uh, give us a glimpse into life growing up for you.
1: Yeah, life growing up, it was uh, it, it was fun, man. It was, it was fulfilled with uh, a, a lot of dreams. Um, I would say, uh, you know, I always felt like, you know, as a kid, I tried to separate myself from everybody around me. Um, I didn't grow up with a mom and dad in in my household. they were in the household, but, um, it wasn't a functional, fully functional household. And when I say that, I mean, you know, my mom was the rock and my dad kind of did what he wanted to do. Um, he just made sure we were safe and we had food on the table. And so, it was some things missing, so I, I spent a lot of time out in the neighborhood and, and trying to uh, learn a lot of things about myself, uh, find myself, um, just kind of growing up fast. And, and it was a super cool experience because I think it got me ready for what I was going to go through in life. And, um, you know, I always told myself I would navigate through this, even at a young age, also, I would navigate my way through uh, my circumstances and, and, and find. Uh, you know, light at the other end of the tunnel. And, you know, I always knew it was something more out there for me, but, you know, I think my friends kept me grounded. I think people in my neighborhood helped keep me grounded. They all seen that I had a talent and I knew I had a talent. I knew I had something special. Uh, I just knew that if I wanted to be different, I had to work at it different and I had to be different and I had to make good decisions as a kid growing up. Mm.
0: Um. As a man now who's gone through a lot myself, uh, I always find myself going back to uh, my childhood uh, to see how I approached life, uh, the perspectives that I had, uh, and evil, even painful experiences from back then. Do you have a, a memory of pain or trauma when you were a kid that uh, maybe affected the way that you approached life?
1: Yeah, growing up, um, man, there was a lot of childhood trauma. It it was a lot of trauma that I I really don't even talk about. Um, Just waiting for the right time. I I bottle a lot of things in. Um, You know, I watched my mom get physically abused uh, as a seven seven year old, eight year old. You know, pretty much the majority of my my childhood life, and you know, it was traumatizing. Uh, I became very resentful. I became very angry um, towards people in the neighborhood towards. Friends towards family members because I just couldn't understand why somebody would treat somebody a certain way that they really loved and had um, the utmost respect for, or should have had the utmost respect for. Uh, As I grow older as a man, I kind of look back at some of the things that my dad went through and why. Um, But it was really um, the big reason why I, you know, I became really sheltered and didn't trust a lot of people and. Uh, you know, when you see people who supposed to be in a, a loving setting disrespecting one another uh, as a young man, it only leads to black. So I always was distraught about that. And, uh, you know, it certainly helped my character as a man growing up. It certainly helped me to this day, uh, the way I conduct myself uh, with my family members, with my wife and people around me.
0: Aside from the the pain that you may have faced in your childhood from people that you loved in your house, who would you say were some people that were your teachers growing up that may have taught you um, uh, good character skills? Um, whether it, yeah. it could be it could be negative as well, but the people that really had the greatest influence on you as a young man, who would you say those people would be?
1: Yeah, ironically, I want to start off with some of my childhood friends that I still, have great friendships with to this day. Two of my best friends, one of them name is Kevin and one of them name is Jamal. Um, you know, as as young men, they knew what I was going through. Um, they didn't have dads in their household. And, uh, I, you know, this conversation is shift because I don't try to throw any shame or any shade at, at my dad. I just call a spade a spade. Um, but, you know, those young men, as we was growing up, they always encouraged me and then I met my high school coach. And then I started learning the core values and principles of life and and how life was supposed to be or could be potentially. Uh, what I had in front of me, my talent. Um, and, and then the focus shifted into trying to be a better student and trying to hone my skills to, to get a look at a scholarship, you know, to get a look from a college and get a scholarship. And so all these variables started to pop up You know, once I met my mentor and then my uncle was a big influence on my life. Um, He kind of knew what I was going through and what I was dealing with, but he stayed away from, you know, what was going on here. He was living his life. And so, you know, as a young man, man, I was kind of paying attention to a lot, vicarious learning. We even had guys in the neighborhood who we called our OGs who used to, you know, make sure that we didn't stand on the corner and try to sell drugs. So I was just taking little bits and pieces of advice from everybody until I felt like I was old enough to, you know, think for myself and and think in a plausible fashion.
0: Would you say amidst all of, uh, the environment that you grew up in, would you say football was an escape for you? Like what was football like early on for you uh, going through as a young kid playing through high school and going on to college? Like take us through that early journey for you.
1: Yeah, football was the outlet, man. And um, instantly my boys always laugh at this growing up cause I always tell them now, I'd be like, the same things I did to the dudes in the NFL was the same things I did to y'all. You know, we was 8, 9, 10 years old in the backyard, and I, I used to watch football on Saturdays and Sundays, me and my little brother, and then we'd come outside, and we try to display everything that we seen Charlie Ward do or uh, Rocky Ishmael or the Ward Dunn, the guys that we had just watched, uh, Steve Young's and and, and the – The warm moons of the world, we coming outside, we trying to implement that. We trying to duplicate everything that we just seen. So, you know, I always took notes. I always watched the game really, really close. And so football, you know, especially in part one, we won three championships. That was amazing. Um, I got to high school and we wasn't the most talented team. Um, You know, I think my first two years, five and five both years, and then my junior year, five and five, and then my senior year, six and four. Um finally had a winning season and got over the hump. And, and you know, it, it was times where I just kind of felt like I was coming into my own as a player. I remember in my junior year, I made a move or made a couple moves against a, a team. And after the game, my high school coach came to me and he said, if you continue to play like that, if you continue to move like that, once you match the mental with the physical, you'll be playing in the National Football League. And that's all I needed to hear because that was my goal. That was my dream. When I was growing up and I felt like we was in uh, poverty stricken neighborhoods and the way we grew up, man, it was like, I know one way out. And as a six year old kid, uh, my grandmother, her favorite team was the Washington Redskins, now known as the Commanders. She watched them every Sunday faithfully. Um, She didn't have a man in the household with her. But she was an avid football fan. And it was something about the logo on the helmet. It was something about the game that they was playing that made me want to do it. And then when I was like nine, I found out that you make millions of dollars doing it and I was sold. I was like, I got a plan for my life. And I know what I want to do. And I'm going to get my mom out of this situation and I'm going to get us out of this situation and we're going to live happily ever after. Mm. Mike,
2: I know you you mentioned that Darren's, uh embodies this whole comeback stories theme that we have, but um, you definitely do too. So much so it's the, it's the ultimate comeback. Um, I've been following you for well since your freshman year at Virginia Tech. I remember watching one of your first games on ESPN, and it was like the way you uh, were slinging the football and throwing it, and your form, just that left-handed throw. I've like I've never seen anything like this. And of course, the running was like a whole other story, but. I'm just thinking back to some of what you were walking us through with your childhood and following your story. I know your mom had you at 17 and your grandma, I believe your grandma uh, raised you for the first five years of your life. And obviously, yeah. you know, you've mentioned the stories about your dad just really not not never being around. So when I hear all that, it just allows me or us to connect the dots as to like, well, of course you wouldn't trust. Like you wouldn't trust like yeah. you the the two, you know, our two parents that were like needing that. That attention from that love aren't even there. So it's yeah. we always ask that question because again, it does help connect the dots as to why we did what we did or why we do what we do. So, man, I just appreciate yeah. you sharing that.
1: Yeah. And and I'd say all that to say what I appreciate now as a 42-year-old man is being able to have the conversations with my dad and ask him the tough questions and for him to just be able to open up and say, son. I grew up without the same guidance too. I didn't have a mom and dad in my household. My grandmother gave, my mom gave me to my grandmother. And and, and so now I see a trend and, you know, over the years, you know, like I said, it, it made me a better dad. It made me a better husband. It made me a better man overall because I was able to learn from him. And so now we try to patch that up. Uh, I believe in second chances. I. I the things that I seen, yeah, it haunted me for so many years and it hurt so bad to a point where I went to college. I just didn't even feel safe. I wanted to come back home. I was, I, you know, a lot of times I, I'd i be out, you know, hanging out with my friends and, you know, as a, you know, eighth grader, ninth grader, you know, in high school. And I, I'm I'm scared. I'm afraid, you know, I'm afraid that something bad might happen, you know, within my household. and I, I, I wasn't supposed to have to grow up like that. I took on a lot of responsibility um my brother you know we are uh two totally different people and i got the utmost respect for him and i love him to death but my brother he, as he grew older he just became a person that i felt like was traumatized by those things even though he handled it different and uh we you know we always just said look we're gonna aspire to do better you know we're gonna try to make you know, make things right in life, man. And uh, whatever God got in store for us, man, we're going to be so thankful. But we know one thing, we got football and we got our minds and we can lean on that.
2: I hear a lot of forgiveness in that. And Darren had mentioned, or you were mentioning resentments and Darren and I come from the world of addiction and they say that in, in addiction, resentments, re- resentments is the number yeah. one offender where that is the right. that the thing that will drive people back out to drinking and using. And so um, I hear that forgiveness. And I think that's, it's a great message for anybody listening. If you're all jammed up on, you know, one of your parents maybe didn't give you something. You have to understand that they were doing the best they can. They could with what they had and, and understanding that. And like, you think about like the access to information that we have these days and the knowledge and from a mindset stuff or meditation or these practices of personal development where they didn't have that. And then you think about how their right. parents were raised so it really allows us to bring in a lot more forgiveness
1: yeah no doubt i try to i try to work backwards sometimes and try to put myself in in their shoes as young parents my dad was 17 my mom was 50. my mom was 15 when she had my sister my oldest sister and uh, i can only imagine what that was like and then i came at 16 and so they moving really really fast and they the kids you're not even grown when you're 21, 22 years old. Like I look back and there, you know, like I know that you don't even consider that grown. You know, you still got so much to learn and and so much to, um, you know, implement into your lifestyle and and so many morals and values that you got to kick around and figure out like what what's the true meaning of life and 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 so I don't use it. I know they don't use it as an excuse. Um, my mom, she she's always so positive. She's always, um, you know, so prophetic, and she speaks things into existence. And and she's she's always been the rock, man, and never missed the football game. Never missed the parents. Never missed thing. Always been there to represent and, and my brothers and sisters. And, and so, um, you know, just seeing that man just always motivated me and uh you know for the simple fact that you know we uh we we grew up and we came up in that struggle you know only made us stronger
2: walk us through a little bit of then co- the college days so now you you go to college at virginia tech and you have these trust issues and you roll into a college where um all the coaches are white um you miss being where you were from you yeah. i know you were also managing just making sure that your um mentioning your dad again wasn't out of character like yeah, just take us through the college college years because it looked looked pretty fun from the outside, but um I'm sure there was plenty more going on.
1: Yeah. Well first of all it was a culture shock. Um when I got up there I was and now you know I'm growing up and dealing with this trust factor, of, you know, not trusting people, um, you know, having to learn to trust people and learn to lean on people and you know get that advice and, and that I, I as you know really really needed um as a young man and so i just felt like i just needed to be humble um you know into college with an open mindset of believing and knowing that coach bingman had my best interests at heart knowing that ricky bustle my offensive coordinator had my best interests at heart and trusting the process which is not easy now when i went to college i really had no idea how to read a defense so my first three months was hell and when i say hell i mean i did not enjoy nothing about what that university had to offer especially football and then you got to go to class and be a student i'm like i'm here really to play football and if i had to do it all over again you know it would probably be vice versa education and then football that just happened to be very very talented and then you know, trusting the process and trusting my coaches, spending time with my offensive coordinator, rookie, Ricky Buss who I, who I still have a relationship with to this day, um, he just kept telling me, keep coming to the meetings, keep studying, keep working hard, one day it's gonna click. And one day, man, I was just sitting in the meeting room with all the veteran players. I was watching film, still not understanding what my meaning for being in that quarterback room was was four. I was honestly about to switch positions because I'm like, man, it's not clicking. I, I can't even complete passes on the scout team. And so four months in, you know I was looking at the board, was looking at some film, and it all clicked for me. It clicked for me, done It was one high, two high, it was how to break it down, how to hit them outside receivers, how to work with two deep coverage, how to work with quarters coverage, and I'm like, I'm going to the scout team, and I'm going to see if this actually works. And I go, and when scout team played a week, two weeks in a row, the season ended, I had a quarterback battle. It was a junior, Dave Meyer. Shout out to Dave Meyer. I had so much respect for him. They made us battle in the spring. They didn't just hand it over to me. So I had to beat out a junior to get that spot. And uh, that entire offseason, man, what I do remember is this, and I'm going to shut up, It's studying every night january february all the way until winter workouts in march i was studying the playbook i was quizzing myself i wanted to make sure when i stepped on that field in the spring and i knew i was in for a battle that i would be able to at least sustain mentally the physical will come out and that's when i learned if you know what you're doing and then you know this if you know what you're doing in the game of football then all you got to do is just let your physical ability you know uh, meet you halfway and, and that's what I did man and the rest was history and you know that year finished third in the Heisman voting and the year after that had to make a decision to leave and uh, the dream was accomplished. Still more to do but the dream was accomplished.
0: Mm. Yeah man I mean your uh, your football career from those days going forward speaks for itself. Um, I want to allow the, yeah. the listeners to put themselves in your shoes because coming from where you came from Uh, the environment you came from, saying like you were the way out and you were the way out for uh, yourself and a lot of people. Um, I know your ability and your opportunities were such a blessing for you, but did it ever feel like a burden?
1: It it did. Um, But it was right after I got drafted, like I felt like the responsibility was not to be a bus. Right after I got If it, like, it, it goes from one pressure to another. I already accomplished and conquered college, killed it. And now I'm off to the NFL where it's a whole new set of rules, whole new set of people, different set of coaches, different teammates, different environment, different city. And I got to continue to rock out. And, and so, you know, it, it, it felt like it was one burden and one hurdle after another. But, you know, I always felt like I stood tall and I was up to the challenge. And, You know, as a quarterback, I learned from my cousin, Aaron Brooks, who played at the University of Virginia, that you're only as good as your last game. He had to step it up at certain times in his career in order to just even get drafted here. He lost three games and they act like the world, the the sky was falling out. And so I started learning all these things that you had to have as a quarterback. And, you know, one was mental toughness and two was tough skin. And, uh, you know, once I learned that, man, and made, not being a buster priority and working hard as I can, good things started to happen. But yeah, I played with a lot of stress. I played under a lot of pressure. And and I, I really like that because I felt like it brought out the best in me.
0: Yeah, I mean, without question, man. I mean, like I said, Atlanta was on fire and you were, I mean, if there's an Atlanta legend, I feel like it's you just from, I mean, I may be biased, but I feel like I'm just looking at the facts here. Um, I want to yeah. uh I want to want you to take us through what the journey was like from being um one of the top guys, somebody that that everybody loved, everybody looked to, everybody was just in awe of, um and from there to maybe the one of the lowest points of of your life, um having to go and serve a prison sentence. Can you take us from what it was like from going to the top of the game to that moment, uh what yeah. life was going on like inside your head with your family? Take us through that.
1: Yeah. I had everything, everything I worked for. Uh, most importantly, my mom and my sisters and my family was happy, and that's all I could ask for. But some of those things that I gravitated to as a kid, being out late, hanging out with friends, um and, and not hanging out with friends in a bad way, but, you know, we was kind of like just rogue out there, man. We was just, like, just living. As long as I felt like I was safe, my mom trusted that I was safe. And so we got into things that we wasn't supposed to get into. same things that I wasn't supposed to see, did things that I wasn't supposed to do. And uh, I carried some of those traits with me. I carried, you know, some of that baggage with me, um, you know, in, into being a grown young adult. And, you know, feeling like money could buy me out of the end of situation, um, being at the top of your game, being the best in the league, um, a little bit of arrogance started to creep in and I'm not even an arrogant person, I'm very humble. Anybody who, who met me even at that time probably would say, "Oh man, you know, Mike's a really good dude. He's he's um very approachable, approachable, he's very personal." But sometimes we do carry those demons and those skeletons, and I still was carrying some demons and some skeletons at the time and it would come out. You know, I would do some things that would make the news and make the media and I'd be like, man, we did that back in the day. Oh, you don't get in trouble for that. And they don't care about this. Or police don't pay attention to that. But when you a role model, when you a you know a public figure and you're on a different level, you gotta hold true to that. And you gotta stand by that. And and so me being having a hard ad, hard head made us so made, you know, made us, you know, what they say, a hard head make a soft ass. And that's what happened, man. Like I literally was had to found myself in a prison cell. Like for whatever happened, regardless of you know what happened, how it happened, man. I, I woke up in a prison cell one day, and and still was like that. That's when it hit me. Like your life is really serious, and I screwed up a really really good thing. I had a lot of people on my corner who was rooting for me, pulling for me and gave me opportunities to expand my brand, be honest, grow as a man. And here I am feeling like the scum of the earth. And that's what I felt like, honestly. I really felt like the scum of the earth, like, damn, you blew it. Man, all I'm just thinking is, I hope my son be a better man than me. I hope if he make it to the professional ranks and he dream a dream, I hope he don't just screw it up. And so now I'm in this situation thinking, like from day one, like, I didn't even know what my sentence was going to be. How do I make this right move? I just knew it was going to take a, a, a great cast of people um, in my life to turn it all around based on my beliefs, based on uh, my surroundings and, and honestly, you know, my upbringing. So carrying those demons, that resentment, it came back to bite me in the end.
2: I was just thinking about how Well, first I've heard the story. Maybe this is your bottom. I don't know if this was the exact moment, but you said the drive to turn yourself in was the hardest thing that you ever ever did done to 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 give up your freedom.
1: Yeah, man. Um, The one thing I always value in life, like I can have nothing right now. I can have this wherever where I'm at in, in life, success. You know, I value that so much now because. When I didn't have my freedom, the the one thing I told myself every day when I was in the prison cell is that as long as I wake up in life, as long as God wake me up and I got my freedom, I always got a chance to do something. It don't have to be in football, don't have to be in TV. I just got an opportunity to do something with my life and I would give anything to have my freedom. And so people don't know what it's like until it's taken away from you. And so you have a, have a God telling you, hey, get out of the way. I'm about to shut this door. Boom, the door slam, slam. Hey, lights out, nine o'clock. Lights out, nine o'clock. 26 years old, lights out. You sitting in the dock. 50 people just talking. Can't, I mean, and, and so I don't like to live those, I do like to live those experiences, especially in my head mentally because it is therapeutic to talk about it. I don't always get to talk about it, especially in my household with family, uh, with friends. And so I use these platforms that and when these questions come across, I try to elaborate it to a point where I'm not trying to scare anybody. I just want everybody to value their freedom and, and what you have in front of you each and every day. And I think some people complain about the things that you really have control over. People always say, Well, I don't got no control over this. Yes, you do. You got control over a lot. And I think mentally you know where our focus is in life is always going to dictate how far we're going to go Mm.
2: you um i remember another thing you had said that you never felt like you could be the the guy who had 10 million in the bank but then everybody else was struggling darren and i talk about this all the time and it's darren will admittedly talk about it himself with the work of people-pleasing and, yeah. you know, the, the, the feeling of the need that you had to take care of your whole family and all of your friends, how was that? How, how did that people pleasing, um, affect you in some of the decisions that you made?
1: Yeah, well, I feel like survivor's remorse is a real thing. Um, you know, I, I dreamt a dream that, and nobody could feel what I felt inside. Um, you know, the things that I witnessed, the things that I learned. Um the games I played in, in high school, the the trials and tribulations in high school um when I worked, when I was at Virginia Tech, the feeling of wanting to leave and not wanting to be there, the quarterback battle, the anxiety of my first game ever that was part of the dream that was part of the mental makeup of of myself and and how I was going to become great you know, at at some point in my life or whatever I was doing. And and so, you know, I had to dream that dream and I had to do it on my own. And when I accomplished it, it was like, man, I was looking around at everybody else. Like, I don't think they had a dream. And so now I want to make sure that, you know, you can go out and accomplish your dream and you can go out and accomplish your dream. And this person can go out and accomplish their dream. And I'm trying to accommodate for, I'm trying to make up for everybody. I'm trying to create a dream like create something do something here take this take that take this and what it did in all actuality was it it made everybody complacent um made everybody spoil um it didn't allow them to go out and dream and dream um and uh you know it really handicapped them in a lot of different ways and uh you know I say all that to say you know, when you make it to a level of stardom and when you accomplish what you accomplish in life and what you set out to do, those are your personal accomplishments. You can't bring everybody with you. And so I'm glad we all had a good time. I think the memories and the way uh, the people around me can look back and say, you know, you think he could for us, I think they can only be grateful and thankful. And uh, hopefully, you know, Going through that and watching me accomplish what I accomplished at this point in their lives make them continue to dream a dream because we all still young. We still got a lot of time uh, to be successful in our own right. And, uh, you know, if I'm still working, you know, putting forth my best effort as a sports analyst, then they can continue to do it too because sometimes we do things that we don't have to do. You got to do it because you love it. Because you got you have passion, and I'm just trying to set an example for my kids that you got to work hard. Because a lot, a couple of them didn't see me play. Um, you know, they didn't get to watch my entire NFL career, but they get to see me on TV. They get to see me studying. They get to see me watching a game and working hard to get give some of the best analysts or analysis on on Sundays that I can give.
0: Well, I mean, I th- I feel like you're setting. Uh... The greatest possible example that you could set for a kid uh, in your household and anywhere by the way that you responded to uh, the cars you were dealt in your life. Um, I want to know, you know, with the perspective shift that you had for uh, gratitude for your freedom and for little things, how do you feel like that helped you as you transitioned out of prison and into the next chapter of your career and just life as Michael?
1: Yeah. When I, when I came home from prison, man, it was. Um... A little book that I had, things that I wrote down that I wanted to accomplish, and it was like you know, write a book, be more personable, be more open, you know, um, you know, be more, you know, uh, assertive with the media. Um, don't be so sheltered. It was a bunch of things that I had came home from prison wanting to be better at, and you know, post-incarceration. I I knew I couldn't do it on my own. I knew I needed certain people in my life, man. And then this man named Andy Reid comes into my life. And you are talking about a guy who wasn't afraid to tell me when I was doing wrong, when something wasn't right. He knew what was on my mind. He knew, he checked in with me every day to make sure my mental psyche was on point and you can't ask for anything more than that. And when I think about role models, mentors, um, people who come into your life for a reason, I think I landed in Philadelphia for a reason. And that was just to become a better man. And, uh, you know, I grew up a lot. It um, was still a lot of expectation. I still had a lot of expectation for myself and certainly going through bankruptcy and so many other distractions and. You know, feeling uh, sorry for myself at times, man. It wasn't. It, it wasn't room for that. You know, it was. It was onward and upward, and, and uh, I couldn't have did it without a great supporting cast. And obviously, my wife. You know, I felt like Andy Reid, Roger Goodell, uh, Tony Dungy was there uh, in, in the first couple chapters when I came home, and then he kind of let me go. But I learned a lot, man, and I learned to just have the ultimate amount of respect for people and take advice and use it correctly
2: just listening to your story and connecting some of the dots, how you know early on it was your dad that maybe wasn't there for you. And I'm just visualizing you, maybe um, the drive up to turn yourself in. And then all of a sudden, now you're repeating that cycle for your children. Now you're not going to be there. But I often talk about in the, in the addiction of, of my past and Darren's past, that it was like this terrible rock bottom that what was absolutely yeah. self-inflicted. Um, that brought us to our knees and we had to figure our shit out and figure out that yeah. there's actually more to life and I see a lot of people going through life half ass or just kind of going through the motions, but this rocked us so hard that we we had to hit we had to ask for help and so yeah. in in that we've been able to find a greater purpose through the pain, just like you have, um, which is ultimately how you then shift the whole generational dysfunction that kind of gets passed from your grandparents to your parents to you but as you're walking us through that, I just hear the shift that's happened for you. We, what do you think the story, this is comeback story, so what do you think the story you had to stop telling yourself in order to like write your comeback story? Like, What was the mindset or what was the story?
1: Yeah, only the strong survive. And that's all I could think about. Um, when I first walked into the prison, man, I was so broken like I cannot attempt to tell you, like I cried for the first two weeks straight, like my wife would say I had enough to have everything in life and to have it all. I wouldn't even say it was stripped away from me because I still had everything when I went in, which made it worse, you know? So I'm leaving, you know, I'm leaving my wife, I'm leaving my, my kids, um, I'm leaving everything that I work for was something so sens- sens- senseless, and it was like, man, if I would have just turned the corner a couple months before this, you know, it might not have never happened. So I'm living with all this regret, and you know, at, every day I cried, I got stronger, and and I, I had to, you know, I had to toughen up. And now you're in an environment where you really can't show any signs of weakness, and and so, you know, I'm going to a place where people, they, you know, they really check you, they checking you out and they they peeping how you move and how you talk and how you, you know, how you look. And thank God I went to a place where, you know, it was a lot of people in there that had a lot of respect for me and they only wanted the best for me and we only wanted the best for each other. It was like, we all poured together. I was able to, we was all able to bring one another together and like, we gonna get through this, bro. Like, don't nobody's feeling sorry for yourself. Don't feel sorry for yourself. Yeah, this sh- hurt. And we're in a situation where we wish we would could have did it all over again. But you know what? You don't get mulligans. You don't get do-overs in life sometimes. But we know we got a little stretch. We're going to get through it. And it's how you're going to do when you get that second chance and when you come out on the other side. And that's what everybody around me was believing in. I'm still around some knuckleheads, and, you know, it's prison, man. You know, you can't, sometimes you can't escape the BS. But for the most part, man, we all had our heads on straight, and we was all working towards one common goal, freeing ourselves up and doing it better. And all those guys came out, most of them, and did it better and did it right. They held true to their promise, including myself.
0: Man, I, I could ask you a million questions about um, your career on the other side of coming out, but yeah. I wanna ask you, um, when was the shift, when was the click for you to wanna give back, to wanna um, really be of service? Like I know I read about you uh, with the Michael Vic Teen Center and the Vic Family Dream Fund, yeah. like what was the moment when uh, you really wanted to take work like that seriously and that became a part of your purpose?
1: Yeah, we're doing a lot of football camps. I meet a lot of kids that I can't spend time with. I can only spend a day or two with. And I really get to know these kids, have a chance to teach them some football on a small scale. But for the most part, these kids are actually more about life than anything. And I'm like, these young men and women are very mature. They really get it. They really are growing up different and a little faster, faster for good reason. Um, And... You know, they have purpose. And, and so, um, you know, the teen center that we built at the Boys and Girls Club, you know, that was to give the kids a sanctuary. The Boys and Girls Club was my place that I went to where I could just get away, escape the streets, escape the nonsense that was going on around me, me and all my boys. And we spent a lot of time in there and there was a lot of mentors and father figures in there and people who, you know, do your homework when you get in here. You know, you know pay attention in class. Let me see your report card. And they was on us just as hard as our coaches were. And so I always made it a point to give back to the Boys and Girls Club. And then, you know, with the, the Vic Family Dream Fund, you know, we just try to serve in, underprivileged communities and, and really serve for people in general, man, whether it's doing a podcast and sharing some information or doing a toy drive or donating some money. We we just want to be accessible. We want to help people, man. We We know what the struggle is like. We know that the struggle is real. We know that sometimes it leads to, um, in uh, things that, you know, that, that people don't situations that people don't, don't, don't want to be in and, um, you know, we just want to serve man. And we just want to continue to help people. And that's something I always do uh, until the day I lead this earth. I
2: hear a lot of gratitude in your voice. Through your words, what what are you most grateful for today?
1: Uh, I'm, I'm most grateful for family, man. Um, the fact that I'm here in my house, my family's not broken. There's a lot of ups and downs, trials and tribulations over the years. But I always fought hard for my family, I always fought hard to do the right things and make the right decisions. Um, even if, when it's, it's not the easiest. Um, we, even when there's temptation everywhere, even when the devil is working. And so for me to be happy in my household each and every day, um, being able to teach my kids valuable lessons, invaluable lessons and for me to learn from them as well. like I try to approach our house with a, you know approach our household with an open mind. Um, then I got a 20 year old son, I got an 18 year old daughter, a 15 year old daughter. and a a five-year-old son and you know the abilities to you know come together and and convey our our messages and and do it the right way sometimes somebody's having a bad day somebody sometimes somebody's not in a good mood and you got to respect their space i'm learning a lot about myself and i'm learning a lot about them and i think just being able to be with them every day use that each one teach one method i feel like we're growing and I, i hope that you know, one day they look back and 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 they have a lot of respect for me and the things that I tried to do for them and the the, the words that I tried, uh, you know, to to help them understand or instill in them or the messages that I tried to instill in them. I should say, um, just a great group, man, and uh, include my wife, man, just being that rock and uh, being the person who we can all lean on and count on and. You know, I tell you what, she's a lot smarter than me. And without her, I probably wouldn't be talking to y'all right now.
0: Well, man, uh, talking about gratitude, uh, we're grateful for you. I'm grateful for you. Um, One of the most amazing football players I've ever seen. But I I feel like that pales in comparison to uh, the example that you set, the way that you responded to the adversity in your life and the example that you're setting for your kids and kids everywhere, that that they don't have to be perfect to – to live a meaningful, uh, purpose-filled life, uh, I appreciate you mm-hmm. and uh, everything that you stand for, man. Yeah.
1: And, and vice versa, to you guys, the example that y'all are setting um, in terms of this platform and being able to open up and talk about things mm-hmm. that's sort of uncomfortable, and, and we've been through some uncomfortable things. We all hit rock bottom, right? Right. And and, and we we on the way up, and we'll never forget what that feel like. Mm-hmm. And it's gonna be a lot of people that's gonna come after us who gonna Need some advice and going to watch this podcast and going to watch this platform and say, hey, man, if they can do it, we, I can do it too. And that's what it's all about, man. It's it's all about that optimism, and, and that's what y'all bring to the table. And so a lot of respect for you guys, and I'm so glad we had a chance to, to make this happen. If this is the conclusion of the interview, I, I'm not ready to go yet, but if you guys are, it's all good.
2: Before I, well, I'll, before I acknowledge I'll ask you one more question. What would you say to somebody that knows they're stuck, struggling, or maybe they're up against a, a challenge, a sentence? Like, what, what, what advice would you give to that person?
1: Yeah, I would just say, um, you know, your belief is everything. Um, I know when I was at my lowest points in life, you know, I got down on my knees and prayed. And sometimes God don't ask you prayer in a day, in a week, in a month, not even in a year. But if you stay persistent and you believe in what you're asking your Lord and Savior for, at some point, it's going to become crystal clear for you. And so I would say just, you know, as cliche as it sounds, never give up. Never give up. Always believe in yourself. Even when people around you don't believe, even when you don't believe that you can do it. It's been plenty of times I walked into to the line of scrimmage believing that I can't, this play is not gonna work. And you know what? It worked. Been plenty of times when we was game planning and on, on Tuesdays, game plan came in from Andy. I'm like, oh man, there's a couple plays I want to take out. These these are the plays that score. You know, those are the plays that turn into big plays. You know, it's been plenty of times where, you know, I felt like, you know, um, you know, my life was in dire straits. And you know i had to look at everything around me and say you know what i'm still blessed man i'm still living so as long as you got opportunity your freedom Mm -hmm. you got a chance and that's
2: it i love that i hear a lot of um yes never give up but then there's also a level of faith or i think you even said it earlier trusting the process And that god's timing may be slow but he's never late and that's where we have to kind of surrender right surrender to to his will and not our will this is something that we i remind myself of often because if i try to instill mine, you know it doesn't always work out so well in fact my will ended up ended up with me in rehab so i know that like my will doesn't work very well but i love your words i love darren took my words with just like on the field accolades or lights out and the way you played was so electric but the off the field stuff and how you've turned your pain and the struggles into a purpose i mean this is this is what inspires me the most so i just want to acknowledge you for how you're showing up and how you turn that pain and the mess into a message i mean um you're our people man you embody this comeback stories so we're just nice. grateful to have you on here
1: yeah no doubt thank you man thanks for having me and uh this is amazing conversation like i said it's, it's very therapeutic i can't just open up and talk to my kids and talk to friends and talk to my wife about some of the things that I do deal with, you know, on a regular basis because I live that. And sometimes I draw back on experiences and sometimes a thought might pop in my head. Or I might see something that might trigger something that, you know, I might have seen when I was away or might have seen when I was a kid. And, you know, so, you know, we all need people to talk to. I will say that. And uh, I'm just glad I got enough people in my life that I can pick up the phone and call uh, if I'm disturbed and uh, open up and, and and let it go. And uh, I might shed a tear, I might cry, but I get off that phone feeling a lot better.
0: Yeah, shoot. I mean, that's true strength. I feel like today. Um, yeah. Even even yeah. crying. Uh, I cry, I cried. Uh, I cried a few weeks ago. What? And I for a while I was like I was I was really asking God to like. I don't know why I can't cry. Something blocking me. Like, what's going on? And right. I, I cried. Um, and I was just like, man, like I was I was so grateful. And it's just like it's just came a long way from when right. when I was a kid growing up, it was just like, you you don't yeah. show none of that, none of them tears. Yeah. We don't care about how you feeling, like, get yeah. get out of here with that. That's not strength, but really yeah. a strength is putting ourselves out there and showing people this is who I truly yeah. am, this is what I'm really yeah. feeling. So we appreciate you willing to get vulnerable with us, man. No so, so
1: doubt. No doubt. Thank you, man. Appreciate it.
2: Yes, we sir. always talk about vulnerability is the key, the pathway to connection. And I think that's what Darren's story, my story, your story, and it's why we're connected here. And so many people are going to be blessed and benefited from hearing your story. Um, it's an honor, man. We appreciate you. Yeah. No doubt.
1: True comeback stories, baby. Represent. Yes, sir. I already Hi, know. Stand up. All right, y'all. We out. Peace.
2: What's up, Comeback Stories family? It's Donnie dropping in here. So did you know that Darren and I's relationship started by me being his personal development, mindfulness, and mindset coach? I want to let you know about both my one-on-one coaching program, The Shift, and my group mastermind, Elevate Your Purpose. These coaching programs are specifically designed for people who are ready to take the next step in their purpose and level up their career, personal finances, and have more connected, deep, and meaningful relationships. My gift and part of my purpose is to help others take that next step in leveling up their lives so that they can have a greater impact on the lives of others, create success. That's sustainable, yet evolves and grows and help build a legacy that will outlive your life. If this is calling you, just go to DonnieStarkins.com and apply for either one of my programs.